the two weeks between that day when I got the world record again and then uh, Flow Track World Championships, I think I did like 36 interviews. Wow. It was like, it was like I was in class from, I'd do an interview from 7 to 8 a.m., be in class 8 to 10, probably left the class in the middle to take a phone call. Like I was just from the minute I got up, the minute I went to bed, I was either running, studying or doing an interview. So, and it was just kind of this tagline like that everyone seems to love of like college kid signs a professional contract i see yeah. those beautiful shoes behind you there yeah want to want to bring those up and tell us a little bit about the official beer mile shoe they were like well you're the world champion and then canada so went with like a golden chevron there for the brooks and then kind of just like a canadian design around the shoe says like beer mile on the tongue that's sweet um, and then on the heel there's like a canadian flag there you guys can see that yeah, yeah, yeah. Maple Leaf. nice it's Sunday after the election. It's nine o'clock in the morning. We have two bottles of champagne for mimosas and we're interviewing Lewis Kent. Let's hit it. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Beer Mile Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris, along with my co-host, Adam. Today, we have another great interview with former Beer Mile world record holder, world champion, appearance on The Ellen Show, uh, Brooks athlete, Lewis Kent. He's also an author of the first ever Beer Mile book. So you're not going to want to miss that. It's a great interview that goes into all aspects of his life and how he went from a normal college student one month to a couple months later being the best beer miler in the world and media outlets all over covering his endeavors. Before we get to the interview, uh, we've been up to quite a bit. If you haven't seen our t-shirt challenge video, uh, it's live on YouTube. Go check it out. Uh, we also have two Halloween shenanigan videos. One of them is a new official beermile.com event, the 400 meter whiskey dash. Be sure to check that out. And then also our interview with Nick Simmons and our bonus episode with Chris Chavez of Sidious Mag. Uh, great interviews. Absolutely great interviews. Nick actually recommended to us to try the 400 meter whiskey dash. Well, he didn't call it the 400 meter whiskey dash. He said to drink four shots of whiskey and run 400 meters and, and see how the event goes. So we said, why not? We went out and did it. Yeah. Well, I guess Adam went out and did it and I got to spectate that and we coined it the 400 meter whiskey dash. So making official rules for it. And yeah. I think that's going to be a, a staple going forward. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And this is an official call out to Nick Simmons. Uh, 125 time to beat. 125, time to beat Nick Simmons. Uh, your move, buddy. Also, we traded the beer in this week. It is a 9 a.m. show recording. And so beer didn't sound, you know, we could have done it. We could have had there beer. Are breakfast beers. Could have had some breakfast beers, but we decided to trade it in for some mimosas today. So drinking mimosas. Cheers to that. What else have we been up to? So we've been making a lot of videos. Check those out on our YouTube channel, Beer Mile Media. Uh, we'll add some links to those in the description as well. But aside from just creating videos, what's been happening behind the scenes? Uh, yeah, well, besides videos and drinking, uh, we've been working a lot on the new beermile.com site, hoping to have that launched by January 1st of next year. Uh, it'll have a lot of cool shit, but namely, um, Pretty much any form of media that you get related to the beer mile, go to the site, you'll see it. Any races, results, it'll all be there. 
Absolutely. It's going to be the same great site that exists now being the database for results for, for the beer mile and being able to submit results. But there's going to be a whole lot more there, a lot more on news, world championships, uh, videos, uh, more around being able to follow your favorite athletes and see when they upload new results, etc. So a lot of cool stuff coming and it's only the beginning. So uh, make sure to uh, follow along on the podcast and we'll keep giving yeah. you updates ahead we'll, of our official launch of the brand new beermile.com. Yeah, we'll definitely record an episode when we're launching it. So look forward to that. We'll, we'll do it live. We'll show us uh, clickety clacketing on the computers <laughs> and uh, pushing the uh, the old launch button. And boom, there it goes. And if, you know, all fails and the DNS is broken or who knows what's going to go wrong. And, uh, then and then we're going to be wasted and we're going to try and fix it live. That's right. We'll fix it live <laughs> to our dozens of uh, viewers. Hopefully, we have to, actually, probably not dozens because we'll probably do it at like midnight. So we might have like three to four listeners. Yeah. But, okay. but you know. So if, yeah, if you're a if you're a tech nerd out there, Adam would love for you to DM him uh, oh, directly. He can talk don't. all day about his little tech stack he's got going on <laughs> on beermile.com. So, what? Give us the 20 second tech stack overview of the new beermile.com. So old beermile.com, PHP. Um, what's the? Yeah, I think so. What's the? Uh, it's like an acronym, four letters. Lamp. Lamp. Yeah, yeah. Lamp. The, yeah, the old lamp. Stuff is. That's the old tech stack. Hey, what's fa- the- Facebook ran on that, I think. That's right? true. That is true. So, what's the new tech stack? Uh, the new tech stack is computers that build small computers that run other computers. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. Inception. Yeah. That's some Inception shit. <laughs> but what does that actually mean? Uh, if you don't know what uh, the Cloud Native Foundation is, hit them up. Uh, Kubernetes, bunch of cool shit. Um, yeah, mainly so we don't have to pay a lot of money. Awesome. Who, I mean, who would have thought that this was also a tech podcast? I mean, we're, we're basically everything now. We're the drinking podcast, we're the running, running podcast, we're business. the tech, the business podcast, the yeah. tech podcast. Who, who, what are we going to be next? Well, kind of a pet podcast as well. We have an official dog of the beer mile, which True. she needs to make another appearance. Yeah. Um, we need if, more content for her. We do. We do. If you are if you want to know who we're talking about, the official dog of the beer mile, check out the beer two mile world record uh, video and Nala makes yeah. quite a few appearances there. We should. Yeah. Well, how do we get her like into the site? Do we just do like a photo gallery of all the stupid shit we do? We, we need to make a meme around her. Oh yeah, that'd be good. Get a get a good uh, picture of her, something beer mile related or just anything. Yeah. So now it's time for our interview with Lewis Kent. He has been generous enough to give away three copies of his beer mile book and they will be signed by him personally and shipped by him personally. So we're giving away three of those. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, the way to enter is to number one, Follow Lewis Kent on Instagram. Just search for Lewis Kent. He's got the blue check mark, easy to find. Number two, subscribe to our channel, Beer Mile Media. And number three, comment on this video, uh, your favorite beer. Let's let's uh, get a sampling of what everyone's favorite beer is. So three steps, they'll also be in the description, pretty simple. Follow Lewis, subscribe to Beer Mile Media, and comment on this uh, podcast video. So if you're an audio-only listener, make sure you head on over to YouTube and just drop a comment and subscribe quick, and uh, you'll be entered. We'll we'll take a look at those over the next week, and then Lewis will personally send uh, three copies of his book out to you. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. He's one of the main men responsible for bringing the sport of the beer mile to the mainstream. He's a former world record holder, multiple-time world champion, and also an author of the first ever beer mile-related book. So welcome to the show, Lewis Kent. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. 
we're really excited to have you uh, and talk about some of the origins of the Beer Mile and, and uh, your experience uh, hitting the limelight in the media and kind of bringing the sport out to the masses. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to chat a bit about it. It's been a few years since the Beer Mile really came into mainstream and uh, pretty unique history behind the sport. So glad to dive into it. Awesome. Let's just kick off with how did you first hear about the Beer Mile? When was your first Beer Mile? Uh, just how did you even be, how were you even introduced to the sport to begin with? Yeah, totally. So uh, while in college here, so I'm uh, in located in London, Ontario, in Canada. Um, so just kind of north of the American border, closest city would, we're kind of bordering like just across from Windsor would be backing onto Detroit. So we're about two hours okay. east of Detroit. Um, so first time I heard about it, I was in my second year of university here. Um, and all the universities, once the indoor track season was done, all the universities would get together to run a beer mile. And I'd heard of it, kind of had an idea of what it was. I would have been 19 at the time, but that's okay here. Our drinking age is 19. <laughs> Um, so heard about it and then got invited out from someone from another university to say, Hey, we're all doing a beer mile. Let's give it a try. I'd, uh, kind of had the training philosophy in college and university of train hard seven days a week, stay sober six nights a week. So always enjoyed a lot of beers on the Saturday night. So went out, um, probably about 40 people in this beer mile and another like 40 watching, um, kind of like everyone would get together after the indoor season for a big party, may as well do a beer mile just before. So you'd probably get about 100 people, half would spectate, half would take part. As soon as the sun would go down, it'd be pitch black on the track, kind of like the old school origins of the beer mile. Um, went out and I came fourth, which I was really happy with. But then I also ran 6.11, which was like, that's a really good time. Because at the time, time, yeah, that would have been early 2014. So no one had broken five minutes yet. And I couldn't believe that I'd run 6.11 and come fourth. There was like three guys that ran in the 5.50s. So I ran that one and was like, I've never trained like first one ever. I think by this time next year, hopefully I can uh, win this race. And then from there, the beer mile kind of just exploded. That's awesome. So how did flow track, I guess, how did you find out that flow track was hosting the first ever beer mile world championship or did they contact you through seeing your results on, on beermile.com or somewhere? How did that, how did that uh, unfold? Yeah, for sure. Totally. So that would have been, it was earlier that year. So it was about April of 2014 that I ran my first beer mile. Then obviously did the one for fun and then the summer season happened. So it was training pretty hard for the summer. Did one at the end of that summer just for fun with our club, a smaller one. Um, Actually ran 10 seconds slower. I was in about 20 seconds better mile shape, but I hadn't drank a beer in a few months. So (laughs) correlation, it's always, it's always one to 10, how good are you in drinking shape and one to 10, how good are you in running shape? And you got to balance the two. Um, So that summer, once James Nielsen broke five for the first time, about a month later, FlowTrack put an article out saying, hey, in December, we're hosting the first ever world championships. You know, there's guys in Australia, Canada, America, Europe, all posting online saying they're the best. Well, there's only so much validity to filming a YouTube video and putting it online. If you're ranked top 10 in the world by November, we'll fly you in all expense paid to Texas. Um, so I'd run 610 and it was looking like you needed about a 535, 540 to get in. So in the middle of cross country season, um, I just started doing like one a week because my teammates were like, man, you're pretty good. Like you're pretty close. Give it a try. So then I got down to just under six and I think I did five and five weeks to then run like a 530 to get into the race. Um, so they were just tracking beermile.com. And when I was running like 
just high fives. They weren't too interested. But once uh, I broke down to 530, they're like, well, you've also only done a handful of beer miles. You just started this year. Kind of saw me as a bit of a dark horse, I think. So, yeah, maybe, maybe part of the excitement, though. Definitely. Yeah, totally. For me, it was awesome, too, because I was having like my like uh, university teammates like come out to a track on like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like I've already done a run that day. And then I've got like 25 people cheering me on to try and hit this like standard and our like uh, local records were like pretty low. So I would just took one step at a time where I was like, OK, well, first I got to break six. And then the fastest guy in Ontario, so our province was like a 545. So then I tried to beat that. And then one step at a time, I, I found myself on the start line in, in Texas. Yeah. And talk, talk to us about the, the first world championship. Yeah, it was actually unbelievable. Um, like I've never been part of a like actual track and field or cross country world championship, but flow track like made it seem so legit. So, you know, a week out, here's your itinerary. Here's where we expect you to be. Here's the expectations. Um, the day it became real was noon of the actual race day. So it was going to be in the evening. Um, and you showed up and they're like, everyone noon, this room in the hotel, we're doing our like athlete briefing. And then they handed like everyone a package out, which was like all the rules. They had the guy, uh, Patrick Butler of beermail.com there. They flew him in and he like reviewed the rules. They like asked anyone if there's any clarifications because they didn't want, you know, such a unique new event. They didn't want anyone, the race to be done. And then people be asking about different questions. So yeah. um, at that point it was like pretty sweet. And then it was like, you know, athlete shuttles to the race course. Like, like you know, if you want to leave it this time or this time. Um, and it was just, it had a legitimate feel to it. And there was like a thousand people and it was just really, uh, really cool. Yeah, they, they definitely do a really good job of all of the production of it and just the, the logistics from end to end for, for the athlete experience. And I was curious when, when the race switched last minute to the racetrack, uh, yeah. instead of being on an actual track and field track, uh, yeah. would, did that really bother you at all? Or were you just kind of in the moment you're like, I'm going to race, you know, whatever the, whatever the location is, whatever it is, I'll just get out there and race. Yeah, no, for sure. So it was actually, uh, meant to be at like a local high school track and then, I don't really it's still mysterious in terms of what actually happened. You wouldn't think that they would like pull the permit or say something last minute, but um, anyways, they, I woke up to go to the bathroom at like 3am the morning of the race came back and my phone kind of lit up and it was an email from Ryan Fenton of flow track saying like venue change. And I kind of didn't, I didn't want to start reading it in the middle of the night and not sleep. So I fell asleep, woke up in the morning and then read it. And they were like, unfortunately with this last minute change, but in my opinion, I wasn't, I was nowhere near the fastest runner in the field. I was probably one of the slowest. So anything that was slow down the running, I was actually happy about. Um, the only thing that caused me issues was that I brought down spikes and no flats. Mm. So then as soon as they had the athlete meeting, they had a shuttle for us to a running store to go grab some new shoes. Okay. But um, it was really cool. Like the, it was a circuit of Americas, which is like one of the biggest formula tracks um, in the States. So the atmosphere was pretty cool. And yeah, I was okay with the change of, course because i assume that would slow down the pace a little and that benefited me as one of the stronger drinkers and slower runners that makes sense so yeah. any any notable stories that you would like to share from that first year as, as you and i both know there are there are some yeah. crazy fun times at world championship <laughs> events so curious yeah. if anything comes to mind uh, that you would want to that really comes to mind for like highlighting that event for you yeah so my roommate at the first one was marcus lewing um of the swedish beer mile team and he'd been like a legend, like he'd run at five, high 520 in like a leader hosen 
on a track with like a hundred, like if you watch the race, it's ridiculous. There's like hundred people on the track. He's running in like lane five to get around people with cans, like just an incredible run. So as soon as he was named as my roommate, I show up that day and then go into the room and then there's Marcus and four other Swedish guys. (laughs) I was like, Oh no, what's going on? Anyways, we found out they were staying in the room next door, but the first night we went out for dinner and drinks and we get back and he's speaking uh, to us and saying, Oh, look what we just did before dinner. And um, in that hotel that full track puts us in there in Texas, there's only about like eight rooms on a floor. It's almost like circular. It's like a tower. Mm-hmm. So there's like a circle around the elevator and it was only about maybe 50 meters. If you ran the full circle around and here's this video of Marcus and his friends and they each chugged a beer with a GoPro on their head and then tagged the next one who also had a GoPro on their head. And then they pretty much like chugged a beer, ran five or 10 laps and then went to the next one. And he was like, team Canada versus team Sweden. We need to see your time. You have to beat us. And this is like the night before the race. (laughs) uh, I'm down there with my friend who traveled down Chris Balestrini. um, And then Jeff Mountjoy was also running uh, that day. So the three of us, and then I went a second time, did this ridiculous race, which is on YouTube somewhere um, that Marcus posted up because he wanted to compare their time to ours of this like ridiculous thing. And what was it? We were halfway through our attempt and some woman stepped out of a room to be like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) And then the the person at the front desk came up out of the elevator and I'm running one of my last laps. And I go to her and say, just two more, two more laps. We'll be (laughs) on. Oh, that was one of many, uh, one of many fun parts of, uh, that's hilarious yeah leave it leave it to the swedish beer mile team to think that it will help your beer mile the next day to drink a bunch the night before i mean that's their style so i I don't know (laughs) totally that's one of the one of the stories there awesome just priming your engines you know exactly i feel like it works for them though like they're pretty consistent in worlds they are they are pretty consistent yeah i don't know i guess when every day is a beer mile you just kind of get used to that being your normal yeah. <laughs> uh, so from that first flow track world championship, I'm assuming it kind of ignited something in you to say, oh, I can actually be pretty good at this. So what, what did that next tw- year look like in 2015? Because a lot happened in that year. Um, yeah. between Beer Mile World Classic, the Ellen Show, flow track uh, world championships again, you know, winning world titles. How right. did, I guess, how did the spring and summer look going into that to kind of set all of that up for you? Yeah, for sure. So flow track, I came in ranked eighth. So I just barely squeezed him. So they flew in the top 10 and then I ended up coming fifth. And the week before I flew out, I just went on a local track, kind of pitch black myself to see what I could run. And I think I ran a 512 or 513 um, with my personal best going in about 530. Um, and then the day of, I ended up coming fifth at the first flow track world championships in like a 530 something. So I was kind of upset. Like I was super happy to come fifth because six weeks before I was still like a 620 beer miler. Um, so it was like pretty, one of those things where like, you're like, this could have gone so much better, but it's so awesome at the same time. Um, I finished the race, came fifth, I beat Nick Simmons, like an Olympian. It was pretty cool uh, moment and was a bit upset because I knew if I'd run the same time I did the week before I would have come third and getting a medal would have been amazing that was kind of like the outside goal um but then once I got to my phone like half an hour later and had like dozens of messages from friends being like holy shit that was the coolest thing I've ever seen like that was amazing and my like friends are like I pretty I got like five exams postponed because that was like peak exam season for my like senior year of university right um 
So like I genuinely was having like academic or athletic advisors, like knowing what I'm doing, being like, oh, I'll give you a note for that. Don't worry about this. Oh, that's so, amazing. All my friends when they're studying, like taking a study break to watch the race is pretty fun. So, so you actually got like quite a bit of support from like academia and other parts of your life to continue on, right? Pretty much. Like I had over the couple of years, I had to have at least, yeah, like five or six things moved around or professors give me delays on things just for, uh, and like everyone was pretty deep behind it. Like if need be, like the athletic department at our school would almost write a note as if like someone was going to like the trap on world championships and wouldn't be around for a week. Right. Um, so from there I ran that race and obviously that left some fire in the belly of like, I I've only done so many of these. I think I can get quicker. And I'm now at the point if I'm like breaking 520, I'm getting pretty close to being one of the top. Um, so after that race, that was December 2014. In the spring, ran an indoor track season, so I didn't do too much. And the beer mile didn't go into a lull, but it was just like, where is this going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, once the indoor track season was done, so about April, um, Phil, uh, who you know quite well, Chris, him and I were living together. And I was like, why don't we try to film this joke series? Like, we don't have much going on called The Road to Sub 5. So there's it on YouTube. It's still there, I think, somewhere or on Tracky. Um, there's a, a three-part series of like the road to sub five, and it's just me doing these ridiculous things that like who knows if they're helping my beer mile time or not. But <laughs> uh, kind of like try to break five minutes. Did all that, and I think I got my official time down to like five fourteen, five thirteen at the end of that. Um, and it was just I was getting quicker every time I went out, like three, four, five seconds, whether it was on the beers or on the running. Um, so at that point, I was like, I want to try to break five. At some point this summer, that'd be great. Um, and then just in that springtime, when I ran around that 510, I got a Facebook uh, DM from a man by the name of Nick McFalls. And it's just this, like, I couldn't believe it. Like, it was probably like 10 phone screens long. It was like, <laughs> imagine the course on Treasure Island. And there's Josh Harris from Australia and James Nielsen of America and the Dark Horse, Lewis Kenton. It's like this live commentary. And I have no idea who Nick McFalls is. Like I've never once spoke to him. <laughs> what in the hell? And then he's like, at the end, he's like, by the way, we're putting on this really cool race in August. And, and if you want to come out, we'll make it happen. Um, so once he did that, that was kind of like the invite for K. I want to get in pretty good shape for August to be able to do that. So going into that one, our club had our like second annual beer mile, which would have been like early to mid August that year. And I was like, I woke up that morning, like been training quite a bit for the beer mile race big race is coming up in two weeks in san francisco at the world classic i want to try to at least be up there and team canada hopefully can win um and i wake up that morning and all my friends know like this friday night we're going out and doing this beer mile lewis is this big race in two weeks we're going to come watch probably had about 15 20 people from our club doing it and then i wake up that morning to like five texts from friends like did you see what josh harris did did you see this and josh harris in australia had broken the world record while i was asleep so James Nielsen ran, I think, 4.57, yeah. maybe? Yep. So then I was, like, hoping I could maybe just run, like, 4.59, but I didn't think I could get under 4.57. Then Josh Harris brings it to 4.56, and I woke up kind of, like, motivated, but also, like, God damn, like, I, I maybe <laughs> got it, but it's just getting harder and harder. So I showed up to that race, wanted to break five. Um, I think going – I just had to close in, like, a 70-second 400 – to break five and I was like maybe I got a shot at this and I just barely got the record so world record genuinely halfway across the world got broken within 24 hours um then that gave me a ton of confidence going in two weeks later to San Francisco which um kind of that was an awesome experience as well definitely and remind me how quickly after the world classic 
um, I guess you didn't go on Ellen until almost the time of flow track, right? I think it was just like a week before that. So between the, the world classic and, and, uh, and the flow track world championships, what all was happening from a media perspective? And, and yeah. I guess also when did you start having talks with, uh, you know, an agent and, and Brooks and all of these yeah. other, uh, opportunities as well. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, world classic was kind of late August, which was awesome. Put on by, uh, kind of. West Valley Track Club down there, mostly Nick McFalls and John Markell, kind of two of the goats of the beer mile. Um, so they put that on. I got, I, I don't want to say I got lucky in that race, but I had a lot of confidence, went out pretty strong and was able to just burn a pretty big lead off the gun and just kind of held on there, which was awesome. Um, so that was late August. And then I had the world record. I'd won, like, call it, there's kind of two worlds mm-hmm. class races of the year. I'd won my first one. Corey Gallagher wasn't there who'd won the first flow track, which kind of soured me. Cause I was like, kind of feels like I didn't, you know, if yeah, if you don't win when the world champs there, then are you really the world champ? Um, so after that, I was like, I've got the world record. I've just won like the biggest race ever to have happened. Like, can I get, I like, I'd sell my soul for a pair of shoes at this point. Right. So at this point I'm going into what would have been my final fall, um, of like college university. And at that point I got a call one day by a name of Chris McCashew, who ended up becoming kind of like the brought, he probably is the number one reason the beer mile kind of took into the main media. Um, he just called me up and was like, Hey, I got this person's this, your name from this guy. I just want to have a quick call with you, like see what's going on. And right after the world classic, I probably for like five to 10 days was talking to everybody and anybody I knew saying like, like, give me a hundred dollar gift card and I'll represent your company. You know what I mean? Like I I thought like it had gotten like ESPN had covered the world classic and we woke up the next morning in San Francisco there late August hurting pretty bad from the night before. Um, and we turned on, uh, TSN or ESPN and there, there was like a, a 10 minute clip running every hour, which is pretty cool. Um, so fast forward a few weeks, Chris calls me in September saying like, Hey, this is a pretty cool thing. Pretty cool opportunity. Let's uh, like, see what we can do. And he's like, while we're on this call, I'm, I'm drinking a beer right now from this Brooks glass. Um, and they seem like probably the right fit just based off of like being more of like a lifestyle kind of easygoing brand than like say an Adidas or a Nike or an Under Armour. Um, so he called them up a week later. I met with Brooks here in Canada. And then we kind of inked a deal that, uh, was pretty sweet in terms of me, like still being in university and getting some free gear and, um, set that in stone, but we didn't announce it, um, until closer to the flow track race because signed the deal in September, but the beer mile wasn't happening until December. So they kind of wanted to get like some media buzz around it. So I still had the world record in September. Corey Gallagher breaks my world record in October. And then I was like, oh, like, are Brooks going to pull my deal? Like, I'm not even the guy anymore. Like, like, we didn't even announce the deal yet. And I don't have the world record anymore. Like, this isn't cool. So then two weeks, just as I had with the World Classic in the summer, um, two weeks, exactly two weeks to the day I did a beer mile. So when Flow Track was coming up in December, I did one exactly two weeks before just to get warmed up, figured it worked last time, managed to get under the world record by another second under Corey or a couple seconds. That's when Brooks and my agent said, hey, this is going to get headlines because you just got the world record. So mm-hmm. my agent went and spammed it to a bunch of people and uh, an ESPN anchor like Darren Revelle at the time picked it up and he wanted it, which he was one of like the big four football anchors at, at the time. So right. like 2 million Twitter followers. So when he put it out there, the two weeks between that day when I got the world record again and then uh, Flow Tracks World Championships, I think I did like 36 interviews 
Wow. It was like, it was like, I was in class from, I'd do an interview from seven to 8 a.m., be in class eight to 10, probably have left the class in the middle to take a phone call. Like I was just from the minute I got up, the minute I went to bed, I was either running, studying or doing an interview. So that's, yeah, that's pretty wild. That's, that's pretty wild. <laughs> and it was just kind of this tagline like that everyone seemed to love of like college kid signs a professional contract for right. chugging and running. Like it was just like a, the, like, almost seemed like it could be like your next door neighbor, like this kid that just uh, kind of yeah. hit the right deal of running and drinking and drinkers loved it. And the running community loved it apart from a few people, but there's always going to be those. So, um, and then, yeah, about a week and a half before the flow track championship. So I'm um, booked to fly into Texas five days before the race or four days before the race to get kind of customized down there. And then uh, my agent, puts this ESPN article that's kind of gone nuts over the last week or week or so tweets it out saying like, who wants him and tags like Jimmy Fallon, Saturday night live, Alan. He's just like, if, if you ever get to meet him or talk to him, he's just so opportunistic that like he's had some pretty cool things come from just like random tweets like that. Like he'll just start tagging people and tweeting at people and responding to things. Um, but yeah, the only person that responded from that was a producer from Ellen saying, Hey, can we call Lewis? just to, we're just putting an article on our website. Like it's nothing more than that. Um, so pretty cool story there is that, that, I guess they do that with a lot of people and post it online and see how the traction goes. Mm-hmm. I guess it got a lot of traction. So two days later, he goes, producer from Ellen's calling you, you know, they do 15 or 20 of these for every person they maybe bring on the show, but this may not even be publicly known knowledge up to this point, but it's a funny, funny story. And I think it's late enough that Ellen will forgive us. Um, <laughs> so my agent into this, producer call it's like a 10 minute video call and i, I think they want to make sure you're personable able to talk right. like they don't want to bring someone on that's going to be a disaster um so i go into it and he said as soon as she's done her questions or sounds like she's gonna end the call ask her about when they're gonna let you know by because jimmy kimmel jimmy fallon and saturday night live all want you on their shows within the next two weeks you want to go on the ellen show but if not you don't want to pass up on these opportunities which was a load of crap like we yeah. haven't anybody, right? Um, so, so here I am, like the producers still in the power seat where they're like interviewing you and asking you questions about your story. And they were very nice. But as soon as I said that at the end of the call, it was like, oh my God, we'll give you a call by tomorrow at 11 a.m. Like, don't worry. Like it, and that's the only reason I went on the show. I'm certain of it. Um, and they were like, yep, come on. Like they don't want to, my agent had researched who their biggest competitors were and strategically told me to drop yeah. those names. And uh, yeah. Chris is a bit of a mastermind. That is, yeah, that's an awesome strategy. I mean, that's like, I guess, like anything in life, like you're yeah. negotiating a job salary or anything else. Yeah. You kind of always got to pretend like you're yeah. more important than you are and just yeah. and get that. But fluff, fluff those numbers. Yeah. Exactly. That's amazing, though. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that yeah. part of the story. How, yeah. much, how much did you sweat when you, when you like realized that you were kind of like feeding the producers a load of crap? Like, were you nervous <laughs> at all like, telling them that? Yeah, like I think what uh, kind of how Keith phrases to me, like Chris is the like most easygoing guy, makes you feel really comfortable, and he goes, "Well, they they're never gonna know any different. So if you say that and it doesn't end up working out for you, oh well, like it's not. There's no real like negative consequence to trying it. So I was like, you know what? At th- at that point, once the Ellen thing had come up, and even the article had gone up, like I was sitting down in my lectures, and like 15 to 20 people around me who I all know quite well are like, man, like what's going on? And I was getting in trouble in like lectures of like 150, 200 kids because they're like, you like stop talking. I'm like, I swear everyone just wants to know. And 
um at that point once the Ellen thing came up like it had already been so surreal like it was like yeah this is just a bonus like there's no way this actually happens but at this point like why wouldn't I give it a try right um Absolutely. like even just being on ESPN and like even like I think like total frat move at the time or just a bunch of like oh, college yeah. bro ones that like reached out yeah. that were pretty like bro bible I think had something like just uh there'd been so much that it was like this is just like icing on the cake if this works right. out so right um, yeah but you you also did you also did follow it up though I mean you at the flow track race a couple days after you were on Ellen it was like a short turnaround but you you ended up winning that so it's still uh you know validated that you were definitely the best in the beer mile at that time and and deserve to be on Ellen for it um and we'll we'll put yeah. a we'll put a link in the description to the to the Ellen show segment because I think it's hilarious you race you race this guy and chugging <laughs> beers and it's like like a staged beer mile kind yeah. of around the set and it's just hilarious yeah. because he can he can kind of drink well on the first beer but then you're yeah. obviously ahead of him running and then by the second beer you just smoke him and it's just, <laughs> it's, it's so funny to watch <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a short circuit they're like how can we do this the best like they so the, the timeline of that was they flew me in I actually flew into Texas on, I think the race was on a Tuesday that year. So I flew into Texas on the Thursday and then I was in, uh, I might be messing up the days of the week, but anyways, I was in Texas about four days before I already had my flights booked. Mm -hmm. I only found out about the Ellen show about five to six days before they wanted to have me on. Okay. Um, and it's not the sort of thing when Ellen calls you and says, Hey, come on the show. It's like, can we actually do the next day? You know, mm -hmm. you just, you make it happen. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so I flew into Texas, was in Texas for like 24 hours, then flew to LA to film Ellen. And then the long story short of that, it was, they changed, I was meant to film first so I could catch a flight. They filmed me at the end. So I missed my flight. So I actually flew into Texas the morning of the race. Um, I filmed okay. Ellen 24 hours prior to the race and was meant to get to Texas at like midnight to go to bed and wake up and race. But I missed my flight because of a timing issue in the, the filming um God. and classic la traffic i mean only time i've ever been there but um yeah at least you got a good taste yeah so i kind of woke up that morning and like woke up at 5 a.m to jump on a plane and get to texas and then went took a nice nap went to the race course and everything worked out luckily yeah uh so curious what your candid thoughts are on ellen sometimes some people give her a bad you know bad <laughs> rep and yeah there's some scandals and controversies out there about you mostly know, her staff, mostly her staff about kind of her as a person, et cetera. Did, how much time did you, did you spend any time talking to her outside of just when you were actually physically on the set or uh, yeah, just what are, what was your vibe being there? Yeah. Like my experience obviously was pretty like surreal. And at that time, like kind of anything could happen and I was on top of the moon. Um, so I showed up, mo didn't really deal with her directly, mostly the producers and staff there. Um, that was awesome. Like you're in your green room and they're like, what do you want for lunch? It's like, well, what are the options? It's like, no, like, what do you want for lunch? Like we can get <laughs> anything. Any, anything that you like name. Um, so my experience overall, there was great. Mostly dealt with producers. Um, as soon as I got on the show, uh, I met her for the first time, like on stage live filming. Um, but because I filmed last, once they kind of said cut, I was able to talk to her for maybe like a minute to two. Okay. Um, so I truly like don't have, it's not me being a kind of PC with everything or down the middle of the road. I, I really only talked to her while we were filming and then for a minute or so after wow. from my opinion she seemed wonderful yeah, yeah. <laughs> she that, yeah it's, it's always so hard to know with these kinds of things internally if it's also you have to think of it as like it is pretty much all for charity and they do get great things for people but it is like 
when I was shocked at the size of the production, like there's gotta be a hundred people there at the set, like just making sure everything going on. So anytime there's a uh, massive call it company or organization, there's going to be a few people at the bottom that are not so happy. So absolutely. I like to take everything that's said negatively with a grain of salt, but I don't have a, uh, I have a pretty biased opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good, that's a great point. Um, yeah. So let's get into a little bit since, uh, since those world titles, world records, yeah. et cetera, um, you've struggled with some injury. Uh, yeah. So what, how, how has that all unfolded these past couple of years? And what has that meant for, for your, your beer miling as well as, you know, the future for you for the beer mile? Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, it definitely hasn't been the most positive experience or where not still not where I hope I'd be. Um, so I uh, graduated kind of university 2017, 2016, 2017, um, was starting to work, but like training more than I ever had before. Um, it's kind of ironic because the reason I started the beer mile that first cross country season to try to make flow track, I had to cut my season short due to like, uh, like left patellar tendon issue. So the reason I got into the beer mile was because of this knee issue. And then it kind of followed me all throughout the rest of like the following years. So kind of 2014 through 2017, but it was always manageable. It's kind of like, you know, maybe take a day off here and there or cross train. Um, but I got to a point in 2017 where I was like running probably nine times a week for me, like getting up to like 75, 80 miles a week was like kind of like a lot of volume for, for myself. Um, then all of a sudden, like was in the best shape of my life. I just flown to Australia to do a beer mile, which was amazing. About a week before I flew to Australia, I tried to get down the street for a run. Like I ran something like 13, 14 miles a day before. And then the next day, I like, couldn't get down the street. Like my knee was so Jeez. sore. Um, and I think part of the issue is that like over the years, the more wear and tear you have in a part of your body, like your brain almost tricks you into like, you don't get as good feedback. Right. Right. So it definitely would have been bothering me for a while. So my coach just recommended, Hey, take like four or six weeks, get healthy. Maybe this was in April. So it was like, maybe you can still make a summer season out of it. Um, and then from there, pretty much for three, that would have been late April, 2017. And I haven't been able to do a full run since, unfortunately. Um, not due to like, I go to go for a run and it's like absolutely killing me. I've had like dozens of like MRI scans. I've seen some of the best sports doctors in Canada. I've had like every kind of minor procedure done you could think of, like not due to a lack of trying. Right. Um, and then this year, so it had been almost three years without a full, I'd say as of January this year, I could get up to like maybe doing three half hour runs a week with it being fairly tame. And then if I did more than that, it was just almost like too much loading and it would just get really irritated. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like a super structural thing. It's not like my ACL or my meniscus is like blown out. It's just like this one tendon in my knees, like fried. Um, okay. So I had surgery in March, just like a scope. So the, the surgeon was like, Hey, you've tried every physio routine under the, like, I was very regimented for physio routines for five months, try something else, five months. Yeah. Um, so he's like, let me go in there and see if anything else weird's going on that we can't see from like an MRI. Like I'm actually going to send a camera into your knee. Um, so he went in there and said like, he did a few small things, but nothing crazy. So did that. And then that was pretty crazy. Like I was, wasn't even able to straighten my knee for like <laughs> a month, which was pretty wild. Wow. Um, so then mid to late summer, it was going pretty strong with physio and kind of having similar results before as like, I can get to a certain point, but I'm like putting in 90 minutes to two hours of my day every day for three and a half years now, all, every time I've exercised, it's just trying to get back to running. Um, so I think it was September. I said, you know what, I'm going to take like a month or two, just like learn to enjoy exercising again, like started cycling a bunch, just doing general fitness, like playing other sports. 
Um, and then December one, my plan is to start back on the horse. So, um, I just mentally needed like a bit of a reset after, as you can imagine, like three years straight of trying to do rehab. And like, every time I tried a new routine, like mentally I was all in, I was like, this is going to work. This is going to be the one I'm going to get back to running. And then to kind of, I'm a pretty positive and mentally strong guy. Um, but I just needed a bit of a, a breather. So hopefully 2021 is the year. <laughs> Excellent. So, so the plan is to come back to the beer mile and, and see what yeah. you do. Awesome. And, and even if I could get back to the point where, you know what, I'm showing up and I'm running a 520, that would be at this point, it's kind of, if I, if I can get back to a moderate level of running where I can go do a 10 K run with the guys, that would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then I'll take it as I can get it. I don't, uh, I don't see a world record in sites for me, but who knows? I think, uh, Modern technology is getting pretty good in modern medicine as well. So maybe someone can 3D print me a tendon or something like that. <laughs> and you guys better watch out. Sub 430 on the way. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've got four years of built up uh, desire here. So that's right. That's true. You will Definitely be hungry. You'll be more hungry and motivated than, than anyone else at this point, I think. I guess so, the, yeah. the good part about the beer mile is like, realistically, you don't need a whole lot of volume in your training. No. Yeah. A good beer miler. That is true. Even if I could get up to running like 20 miles a week, I think I could get pretty close with like a lot of swimming and a lot of cycling. Like I think I could run 20 miles a week where I'm pretty much just doing intervals and get pretty close to five minutes. Like I'm fairly confident in my, yeah, that summer, first summer I couldn't run. As soon as I was told I shouldn't be running, I was like swimming like 90 minutes a day and biking and stuff. And I ran like a road mile PB without having run a single step in like seven weeks. It was pretty stupid. Wow. Just because like I was in such good shape and was able to maintain it. It's yeah. uh, I think it's definitely an underrated thing. Like people don't realize how much cross training can really get you in pretty good shape too. Right. Yeah. You, so you mentioned uh, the, the world record 430, et cetera. I'm curious if you didn't get hurt, um, you know, you ran 447. You did, if you didn't get hurt, what do you think you were on track to maybe run that next summer? How fast yeah. do you, think you could have been? Yeah. So I had a, like, so I flew over to Australia and at that point it was, it was 10 days before the race. That was the day where I could barely run down the street. So those 10 days I ran one mile a day. Like I genuinely jogged up and down the street to keep my legs moving. I was like, I've been paid to flown to Australia, fly to Australia to run a race. I like have to show up. Like right. Josh Harris was the only other like big guy in that race. And he was training for like, uh, trying to make world champs in the marathon, like two months later. So he had like no leg speed at all. So <laughs> I just, I just knew like if I bolted from the gun, like I'd get enough of a gap and be able to maintain it. Um, it's kind of always been my, my role in the beer mile. Like if I feel like I can handle the beers the best, although these guys can run faster than I can, if I have them struggling on the beers, I could probably hold on. Yep. Um, so I went to Australia and at that point it went weird because I went from running 10 miles a day to all of a sudden running like one mile a day for 10 days and just like doing other cross training. So I kind of lost my rhythm in terms of like what a 60 second, 400 would feel like across right. 10 days. Um, so I went out, got a pretty sizable lead on Josh in the first 800, and I heard a split of 232 or 231, and I was like, okay, like I'm gonna win the race. Like I'm quite a bit ahead. I'm not doing anything magical today because I'm not even under five minute pace. So like, just take care of the win. Like, no point in killing yourself now and making yourself throw up. Um, then unfortunately, I came by the next lap, and once I heard that split, which I slowed down significantly, it was actually 221, not 231 which just mentally biggest brain fart ever and never happened before. But, um, I ended up running 450 in that race. Cause I turned it back on once I was like, okay, I'm on a decent pace here. Um, I think that day, if I'd just gone gun to tape, 
and maybe hadn't had that 10 days, I think I was probably at least in like a 441, 442 shape. Like I was in at least five to six second mile PR shape just based off the workouts and the guys I was training with what they were running. Um, so I think that summer, if everything had kept going, like honestly, the fire in my belly at that point was that Corey Belmore had taken the record. Yeah. The year he took the record. I also shit the bed at the big major race. So I was pissed about that. So I was training like night and day to be like, there's going to be a race where Corey is way faster than I am, but there's going to be a race where he leaves too much beer mm-hmm. or he gets disqualified or throws up. And I- I'm going to be there that day to take back the title. Yeah. Um, so, and we've seen that over the last few years, right? The beer mile, like no one has had a race on, out of the big guys that mm-hmm. haven't been disqualified or had a bad day. Exactly. Um, so I, my plan was to either a be there to be, to kind of step in for the win. And then, or if not, if he kept being consistent, I would just go out as hard as I could. One of the races like suicide pace and hopefully he'd leave too much beer and like, I'd blow up a bit, but still win the race. Um, so I think I was capable, like if I could have kept in that fitness and haven't run the perfect beer mile, I don't think I'd be able to touch kind of what you guys are running right now. Cause I just don't have the same running ability. Um, like I'm like, uh, the best shape I probably got into is probably like a four ten mile, right? Like maybe just under a four ten mile. So I think I probably could have run like with the drinking, maybe like a four thirty nine, like best best scenario. Right. right. Yeah, that man, it would have been fun to yeah. have uh, another person in the mix as well. Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in the I'm in that situation where it's like I know Corey's way faster than me, so it's yeah. like you're kind of hoping for that day where he just struggles on the beer or goes, maybe even goes out way too hard and just his breathing is off or who knows, but he's been, he's been uh, pretty invincible so far other than (laughs) his one mistake getting disqualified. But even that race, he was 20 seconds ahead of everybody. So it's pretty crazy. Uh, It's yeah. It's pretty wild too, because like that day he ran 424 being like half an ounce over. So it's like he, if he just takes his time and he's in decent fitness, he can definitely do like a 426, which is just absurd, right? It's like a 358 mile, with like six second beers, like just insane. Exactly. Well, I think you're going to get back in shape. And I think our, what we need to do, you and I, is we need to chase his 433 now while we still can get it. Because once it's 424, it's, it's game yeah. over. Maybe yeah. 433 is uh, potentially doable, but yeah. now's our chance before he gets super fit and crushes it next summer. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, no one ever thought anyone would even be in the 430. So you've done a great job getting pretty close there. And yeah, I think you've got, got a decent stab at it. We'll see what happens. So yeah. like, the last three years, even with all this injury, you've still like been working on the book, uh, which is kind of crazy. But uh, talk yeah. to us a little bit about kind of how you started, uh, at least like process wise, and then logistically, like how everything came together. Yeah, for sure. So 2015, it was the end of 2015, where I kind of won my second world championship, got kind of Brooks announced sponsorship on Ellen show. So early in 2016, I had a, a literary agent um, named Amy Appel reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm an agent. I love running. Like, I know your story. I think we may have a decent shot at getting like a, like a published book offer. If we were to put together a proposal, is that something you want to do? I've just finished university. No idea what I want to do with my life. This is perfect time. Like if there's ever to be a good time for this it's now. So over the next three to four months, her and I put together, like, here's what the 10 chapters would look like. Here's two sample chapters. Here's kind of like a pretty much a pitch kit for the book mm-hmm. that she then would take to the publish publishers. Um, so it wasn't originally my idea. I thought it was awesome when she said it. And at the worst case, I was like, you know what? We wrote two of 10 chapters together. If no one takes it, I'll just write the rest of the book, print one copy for my coffee table and 
it'll be a cool memory of like, yeah. these are yeah. things that in 10 years, I won't remember the fine details and it'll be pretty cool to, to read back on. Um, so we wrote that and then for the next year, it's a pretty long process. So we wrote that for three months. And then after that, she goes, it's kind of like the idea if someone had say uh, a sports agent would go to get a deal from kind of the biggest, best companies with the most money. Then you would go to a second tier company, then go to a third tier company as you get the nose. Mm-hmm. So she went through that process across the next year, pretty much 12 months later. She's like, sorry, Lewis, even the smallest publishers uh, aren't like nobody bid on the offer we were putting out there. I was like, you know what? Thank you so much for your time. Like I'll probably finish writing this. The week later she goes, actually got someone that came back this tiny publishing company called Skyhorse. They're like the, one of the smallest in America. I was like, Hey, that's a published book. Then they take on all the cost of publishing the books. They do all the graphics. Like we just give stuff to them. So from start to finish. So at that point we had 12 months to finish the book. So we started in the spring of 2016 and then it published summer of 2019. So it was like pretty much a three year kind of like three months to pr- create a proposal, a year that we actually took to get a deal and then another year to get it finished and published, um, which was all, like pretty cool to just like understand. And I probably didn't even write 10,000 words in college or university total. Like I <laughs> sucked, like I couldn't write a 750 word essay. So to write a 45,000 words was definitely one of the hardest challenges, but with the injury going on, it was kind of nice to keep me involved and keep me busy. And the timing didn't work out perfectly because it took a year to get the deal. By then I'd started my own business and was staying pretty busy. So yeah. um, the one nice thing about, I'm definitely excited to get back into running if I can't do so, but I've been able to fill those voids uh, with like running a business, starting a business and all that. So it's uh, been able to direct my passion elsewhere where if I didn't have those things or those outlets, I definitely would have struggled a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely want to get into those. Uh, but for the, for the book, last question on it, what yeah. was- your favorite part of it and what was your least favorite part of publishing the, book? the process of writing it or the actual book itself the process process yeah yeah so the process um i would say because by the time i started writing it it was pretty much like very early mornings or very late evenings that i was doing all of it so it was like learning to get up at 5 30 two to three days a week to write before starting for the day or the evenings that that wasn't very fun i'd say um I definitely have so much more respect for authors that write tons of books like obviously they're in a, that's their passion whereas not to say this wasn't my passion but um so that was definitely I'd say like the toughest part was that um say the coolest part was definitely just working alongside Amy like my literary agent they're like pretty cool to like learn the process from her end um and to truly understand like how many revisions like we write a chapter and then review that one like five times over and be like, okay, at least that's 80% done. Let's do the next content. Then once you've done all of that, like I was like, by the end of it, I was like, I'm never going to read this damn book. It's like, I've, I've read it over like, yeah. But then by the time we finished and submitted the manuscript, it was like six months before I had one in hand. So um, yeah, I'd say the most, like the coolest, most enjoyable part was just like learning how much due diligence, like you think someone just comes up with a story writes it down types it up but it's uh it's yeah that was the coolest part that yeah that was that actually kind of answered one of the questions in my mind was just how much of your original like writing actually ended up making it to the end or just was everything just revised so many times it was like it morphed it probably morphed quite a bit um as as the process yeah for sure so um I would say like well over like 90% of what I originally wrote 
So like I'm just getting up in the morning or in the evenings and pulling up a word doc and we'd create like, here's what this chapter is about. Then she would leave it with me and be like, okay, by two weeks from now, you need to have a thousand words written down and then we'll go through it. And the problem was at first it was her like dragging words out of me. Like I kind of type up and say, all I've got about this time of the beer mouth story is like 500 words and we need 2000. Like, yeah. like the contract was like, you will submit a minimum of 40,000 words. And I was like, all I got is like 6,000 words. <laughs> then she'd be like, okay, so when you were there, like, what were you seeing and what you were, what were you hearing? And um, so I'd say most of what I wrote down ended up in there. It's just that a lot of additions were put on. Um, and by the time we'd given it to the publishing company, their editor almost edited nothing because we'd gone through it so many times over, like hundreds of times. So we had it how we wanted it. So even when the editor at the publishing company made suggestions, we were like, we've already thought of that. No, thanks. Like we, <laughs> we pretty much turned down all their final edits. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's also kind of a bummer that it did take so long to get the book out as well, because I yeah. was that huge, like beer mile media cycle in 2015, 2016. Yeah. And if, if you could have had it as a part of that wave, um, I'm sure it probably would have been super successful, but hopefully um, the success will come as we get through, through that next wave of, of media as well. And it'll just yeah. ignite that and, and get more people interested in it again. For sure. Yeah. Then there was the thing called the national beer mile 2016 was a pretty cool experience as part of all this was I signed on like a one-year deal to be like their poster boy ambassador. Um, and the original plan when we pitched the book, which is I think why we even got a publishing deal <laughs> was that there's going to be like tens of thousands of people attending these events. And like yeah. I was going to most of them. So I was going to be able to be there, sign them, be like, Hey, 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Here you go. Um, so that was part of it. But when I committed to doing it, to be brutally honest, I thought that it was like, I'd be working with someone who I'd be telling my story to, and they would ghostwrite it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Then when I committed and then they were like, okay, so like, here you go. Here's like, start a word doc and start typing. I was like, you're kidding me. Like, oh, <laughs> you're like, oh shit. <laughs> hey, like this is, this is impossible. So if someone had ghost wrote it for me, I bet you it would have been out quicker. But right. now that I have it in hand and it's written, it feels a lot more accomplishing to uh, yeah. have, it, have it done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're linking to the book in the description. And also, Lewis has been generous enough. He's going to give away three copies of the book as signed well. Copies. Signed copies. Yeah. Um, so we'll have the rules for how you can get those signed copies in the description um, in order to, to be eligible. And yeah, so... Thank you for that. Thanks for giving some yeah. of it away. And we're excited for uh, three more people to uh, read the book. Yeah, it'd be awesome. All right. So should we dive into then, you you started bringing it up a little bit, your career. Um, yeah. so you, you majored in kinesiology, uh, yeah. correct? How did yeah. you shift? I guess, what was the original plan with that degree? What were you looking to do? And then how did yeah. your career shift uh, into the financial world? Yeah, for sure. So uh, when I was finishing up my like undergrad um, in kinesiology, I think most people who are like in sports and do kinesiology or human kinetics are like, I want to be a physio or a chiro or something sports related. And I was kind of ingrained in my head. Um, when I was in university, though, just throughout the school year for some extra bucks, I genuinely took a ladder that we had sitting at our university house and started knocking on doors and saying like, hey, what can I do around your house for you? Like, I need beer money for this weekend. No joke kind of like what can I be doing for you so I learned a bunch of like not that you need a college degree like I wasn't doing plumbing or electric or anything like that more so like cleaning your windows or like cleaning the side of your house or changing light like highlight bulbs um so I started something called the student maintenance company which was like we're students we're broke help us out yeah our city here is like pretty uh like the city kind of revolves around the university here 
So people are pretty tied to like supporting students. So I started that, or I did that just kind of on the side while I was in school for a bit of money. Um, then that next summer was like, well, this is pretty sweet because I set my own schedule. I can train whenever I want. I can book projects when I want. Um, at that time, I still intended to go to physio school. So I was volunteering 10, 15 hours a week, working for myself 10 to 15 hours a week. But by the time I got to the end of university, I was like, well, we're at, I'm at this point where, why did I want to become a physio? Well, I wanted to become a physio to open my own clinic, to then have someone manage that, to open another clinic. And I quickly realized having worked for myself kind of on this kind of side project that I more so just wanted to kind of be a bit of an entrepreneur and a business owner. I didn't truly want to be a physio. I wanted to be a physio because that was like a repeatable kind of, I could set up franchises of physio clinics. Um, so I realized that luckily, like towards the end of university. So when I graduated, I had a bunch of different offerings. Like I could have gone to physio school. Um, I could have taken different roles. Um, and then I work as like a financial planner at a wealth management firm now. Uh, but we are all kind of self-employed where you build up your own book of business. Um, I'm sure the industry works very similar down in the yeah. States as well. Yeah. Um, so I saw a, a good friend of mine's dad's been in the industry for 35 years. And he's like, well, the average age of like an advisor in our industry is like 55. Like there's this huge gap of like a bunch of old men are doing it. And in five to 10 years, they're all going to be retiring. And it's probably a really good time as a young guy to get into it. Um, so very difficult and very front loaded. Like you put in a ton of time effort. Like here I was as a 22 year old guy who you'd probably seen me hammered at a bar downtown on the Friday night. And then on Monday morning, I'm calling up people saying, Hey, let me manage your money for you. Right. It's a pretty <laughs> tough, uh, yeah, pretty tough. I spending at the bar. <laughs> yeah. So, um, pretty tough career to get into, but yeah, I'm three and a half years in now. Um, and I've never really looked back. It's pretty sweet being able to work for yourself and just like build over time. Um, I think the idea behind it is like, I love working with people and we're pretty much just kind of the role is really meet with people, understand where they want to be getting with their money, make sure everything's structured properly. So yeah, I have that. And that company I started by walking door to door with a ladder years ago, still runs, still own it, but students pretty much manage it now. So that's really cool. Actually. It is really cool. Yeah. yeah such a, such a simple idea, but yeah, it's not really, it's not really done. There was nothing like that on our campus. So yeah. it definitely is a feasible business. Yeah, it's just like people will, people don't want to, like right now in Southwestern Ontario here, all the leaves are falling. Nobody wants to rake their leaves or clean out their eaves troughs or gutters. And it's pretty much the business model is these are things you can do yourself, but they're too dangerous. You don't have the time or you don't want to do them. So right. you'll pay our team 15 an hour to do it for you. So, yeah. Well, building on the financial piece, uh, have a little fun here. What's yeah. the, what's your uh, recommended investment mix out there? You know, your combination of, of stocks, bonds, cash, whatever other assets you uh, would recommend. What's your investment mix you're recommending nowadays? Yeah, it's tough. So, I mean, obviously we always link it back to like what the goal is with the money, right? So I bought it like a house. My girlfriend, and I bought a house earlier this year. So we obviously weren't heavily invested in equities and stocks for that part of our portfolio. But like I have a bunch of retirement savings, which is like 100% equities. Um, it's a bit of a boring and bland answer, but it always covers our ass in the sense that kind of always just making sure it's the right asset allocation for the goal. So like, for example, my retirement funds are all in like global equities. So it's not all in Canada. It's not all in the States. It's kind of all around the world. Um, but yeah, I know it's a boring and not a good answer, but it's definitely, uh, definitely a, a crazy time to be fully invested in the stock market. And uh, <laughs> yep. just for people who like to self-invest, which is a lot of people, definitely make sure that you've uh, got your eggs in a few baskets rather than uh, 
you don't just want to be holding Tesla or Amazon. You <laughs> know what's going to happen. So, so you would not like uh, encourage people to go on Wall Street bets and use Robinhood. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a competitor of our industry. So I can't, uh, can't <laughs> I'd say like, honestly, probably 90% of my clients have a bit of their money in those because they just like, like the idea of playing around with it. Yeah. And then I probably had half of those people over the last three years have enough of an emotional roller coaster where they're like, last month I made 30%. And then this month I lost 25 and they're like, I just don't have the time and effort to do it. So, yeah. um, yeah, as long as you're like, I mean, if you're doing the research behind stuff and you're passionate about it, then like the biggest mistake people do is say like someone loves Tesla, so they buy in at a hundred dollars a stock. And then because some news came out a week later, it's down to $80 a stock and then they sell. So the classic, like your human emotion says this stock's going up. So I want to buy. So you buy on the high. And then when it's coming down, it's just psychology. Like human brains aren't designed to do it. So by having a barrier or like if you truly love Tesla and you know the ins and outs and you believe it's going to come back up, then it's okay to hold that stock. But we kind of provide that barrier to clients where like when COVID hit the stock market was tanking, I can at least be a bit of a barrier for human behavior of like, Hey, you know, this money's for your retirement 20 years. Like don't be afraid that it's down 15% in a couple of months. Yeah. Right? So. yeah. I mean, the, the reality is of it, the, the boring strategy of just time, uh, 20 years, 30 years for everything to compound. I mean, that is the best strategy, but nobody likes to hear that. Everyone wants uh, to double their money this year. And, and also people feel pain. This like a 30% drop feels so much more painful than the 30% gain feels good to you. And so yeah. even though you gain 30% and then lose it and you're back to even, you feel like you lost a ton of yeah, money. Oh, for sure. So mad. And especially if they like work with someone like us where it's like, it's your job to but like well, all my money you, you should have predicted the stock market crash come on i just say hey we're, we're like the weathermen you know they hold us to the same accountability <laughs> in the short term we're pretty much weathermen but in the long run no. yep <laughs> so how about one more investment question how about bitcoin then how do we feel about bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies yeah that's funny because so when i first started i started right around three years ago so like summer to fall of 2017 um, and that was the peak. That was like Bitcoin has hit major media. Like obviously people had been in it for years before, but when I'm first sitting down with like my first 15, 20 meetings, every time, no matter what came up, what about like, I'm thinking Bitcoin, like Bitcoin is at like $20,000. Uh, yeah, like, that was like its peak. Yeah, it, it really. And then that was like September, October. And I feel like by January, February, it was down to like 10. Like mm -hmm. it really took a bit of a song there. Um, so I like, once again, like, I think if people are heavily researched and believe in something, then they're more likely to buy and hold it. Like they're willing. So I have a bunch of clients that were in well before then and how I see it, it's the same thing with marijuana stocks when they were kind of going crazy, especially here in Canada. I know they were going nuts about a year and a half ago. Yeah. I kind of, my opinion on it is it's kind of like, if you're doing it, it should be kind of like money you're willing to take into the casino in terms of like, Hey, which coin do you buy? Like if you're buying Bitcoin itself, which is the most kind of true and tried one, I'm truly not that I don't personally invest in it. So I'm not that knowledgeable on it. So most of the time I kind of tell clients, but I would, I was to be invested in it. I kind of treat it like the casino where as soon as I've made my money back that I brought in, I'd probably pull that money out. And then the rest is just winnings. Right. So, but I see the Bitcoin shirt there. What's your, uh, you guys big fans of Bitcoin? I mean, I am, <laughs> I am, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's my only shirt kind of related to, to financial, yeah. anything financial. And part of what we're also trying to do with this podcast too, is 
So yep. sure, it's the Beer Mile podcast, but we like to learn about people's lives outside of just running yeah. in the Beer Mile. And so, you know, finance being a big part of your life as well. This was my yeah. my uh, <laughs> shout out to that, I guess. The only <laughs> only financial yeah. shirt I have. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting, con- very interesting concept, just in terms of the amount of uh, the idea of having this like universal currency is like a very cool idea. But I just struggle to the, the thought of like how governments aren't going to constantly regulate and not allow it to happen. Right. So, right. Yeah. It, well, I'm with you on your strategy of, uh, when I originally bought Bitcoin, it was like a couple percent of my total money. And then yeah. that that's it. Like, just let it ride see what happens. Not going to just yeah. keep pouring like my life savings into it. So, and, and it's like most of the time, if people, once it got to that fall where everyone's like, should I be buying Bitcoin? It's like, we're too, you're too late at this point. Like if, yeah, if right. you're hearing about it from the media, yeah. then like probably getting towards a bit of a bubble. Um, whereas, and these people were just buying it and same with the marijuana stocks I found to just try to like, Hey, my one friend made 20 grand with Bitcoin or made right. 20 grand with this marijuana stock. It's like, so if you have a hundred friends go to the casino, do you think you're going to hear from the five that won or the 95 that lost? Like, so right. I'm like, for, I always just tell people with a grain of salt, like you probably have 10 friends for everyone that's gotten rich off it, who have probably lost everything. So Absolutely. I think yeah, if, you, if you, if you enjoy it, like believe in it and aren't being ridiculous with it, like, I think that's the key. Whereas the people who want to make fast money, which is everybody, they buy into like Tesla or Bitcoin or marijuana stocks. And they're like, I just want to triple my money in six months and get out. But yeah. it's the same thing. It's gambler's fallacy as well. Like I'm sure you guys have seen friends going to the casino with a hundred bucks and then they're up like 700 and they're like, no, I could win more. And then they leave. <laughs> it's human, human nature is just not good for investing overall. <laughs> Definitely. On a similar note, then would you buy, sell or hold the sport of the beer mile? Do you think there's still room to run? Uh, do you think it's peaked? Do you think it'll just kind of, you know, stay in consistent from here does it decline what's your what's your thoughts on the, the sport of the beer mile kind of as, as the business side of it yeah for sure i think you could buy and hold it like i think the idea behind it is great and i think with live sports being shut down a bit right now it's a bit unfortunate but also like an opportunity to like maybe provide once covid's kind of behind us i think what they did the one year in san francisco where belmore went down and a few of the canadian guys like at like a soccer game halftime like you know it's never going to be like the nfl halftime show but if it can be, you know, even just like MLS soccer or like some sort of fringe sport where like at halftime, here comes the beer mall. Like, I think that's a commercial product that could be like, that one went incredible. Like the crowd was losing their minds. Um, I know my agent here in Canada was going to try to set it up for like the CFL football halftimes. Um, so I think that's marketable. And I think there's a way to do it where the national beer mall thing I was a part of, which um, was that kind of pretty much imagine like a tough mutter where there's an event that goes from noon to six and in the middle you get a beer mile and you play lawn games and have fun. That event was amazing. I went to three events that had over 1500 people at it and those events made tons of money, but they tried to do 24 events the first year that they did it. So they had to cancel like 15 of them, which they lose deposits on. And that's why I went under. Um, If someone was to like, just create that where there's like three in the summer and the best days of the year, yeah. do a few of those. Like it's definitely like road racing is such a profitable industry. Yeah. I think you could very easily convert the beer mile to that format where, Hey, we've got this. Plus my agent was working on it at a point as well, where you could probably have like four majors a year of the beer mile where you have yeah. one in Canada, one in the States, one in Europe, one in Australia, you get the top 10 guys in the world and you score it like a diamond league. Yeah. You get like Budweiser as the sponsor and Budweiser puts up like 50 grand in total prize money. And like, as soon as you have prize money, then you can get on ESPN, you can get on TV. Exactly. Like 
I feel like it has a spot in the market where like the hot dog eating contests are Definitely. right. Where like people can enter in their local hot dog eating contest, but then they tune into ESPN where, you know, these big sponsors pay lots of money. And I think it's got a space. It just hasn't quite cracked there and it just needs the persistent effort to get there. Yep. No, I love, love that answer. And that yeah. those are some great ideas too. I think getting the beer sponsor, wh- how, whenever that can happen, that would be a yeah. huge step forward for it. But um, For sure. All right. We don't, we don't want to take too much more of your time. So we have two more pieces. We have a new segment of the podcast that we thought of. Uh, you're going to be the first. Uh, all right. You're a guinea pig. You're a guinea pig. Um, good. We're calling it the spicy question of the week. And yep. so from our, the rule from our side is one of us gets to ask the guests a spicy question. So it could be like a little controversial, a little edgy, et cetera. In yep. order to ask the question, um, so if I ask it, I have to chug my drink to earn the right to ask the guest that question. Okay. Basically. Cool. Um, and then ideally the scenario could be the guest then if they choose not to answer it, they would have to chug a drink or something like okay. that. But we're just yeah. introducing this to you right now. You weren't prepared cool. for this. So that's on us. Um, I got a cold beer in the fridge. It's okay. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> so if you choose not to answer, then cold beer is yours. Uh, I'll ask the spicy question. Um, I guess, do I have to drink you it drink first? Before, yeah. You drink it first? Okay. <laughs> No. <laughs> Champagne on a Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So a little spicy, probably not too spicy, but curious to hear a little bit more about the Brooks deal that you got for the beer miles. So there's speculation on a lot of media outlets. Yeah. Uh, you know, high school or not high school. Wow. Uh, college kid earned six figures to run. Yeah the beer mile. Uh, So we're curious, what sort of insight can you give us on how much that contract was worth, what it included, uh, how many years was it for, uh, any insight that you're, you're willing to give us on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, So there's two different deals. So the first one that came out kind of saying like six figures was that national beer mile one. Mm -hmm. Um, So Brooks one, first one I signed, I think coined by my agent was he's getting more than an ambassador, but less than an Olympian which is a pretty wide range. That's a wide range. Um, I can get into the details that there were uh, like monetized bonuses for like world records in the beer mile, winning a world championship, all that stuff. Um, And then a lot of gear involved as well. Okay. In terms of actual numbers, can't get into those just based off of non-disclosure sign. But um, the more interesting one is the national beer model on which that isn't even around anymore. So I'm not concerned with uh, (laughs) that. To double back to Brooks, I guess I was always on like a one to two year kind of cycle with them. Okay. Um, I started as a Canadian ambassador, which was like pretty funny, which was just like, hey, it was like, here's some free shoes, some free clothes, like go down there. If you kind of medal or set world records, we'll, we'll have some money on the table for you. Um, but that was a one year deal. And then I actually signed up with Brooks US as like, I signed like a, to give it perspective, like my first one, the ambassador one was a two page, like you could have generated on a word document in an hour. Um, the one I signed with Brooks US for, which would have been 2016 through 2017 was like what a Brooks beast would sign. It was like, if you die in the middle of this contract, like that was in there. Like it was like a legal, like 14 page, like if this happens, if this happens, here's that, here's that. And that one was like pretty legitimate. Um, so that's as far as I can go into the Brooks stuff, but the national beer model, I don't mind fully disclosing cause that's not even around anymore. So that was the one where it first said, Hey, here's a six figure deal for Lewis Kent. And that one was kind of, here's a bit of a base for if you commit to us for 12 months, like here, here you go, here's some funds. But 
there was bonuses based upon how the whole thing performs. So like I didn't have equity in it, but it was like, if we get more than 1500 people at an event, you'll be bonus this much. Okay. Um, so that one, if you took it, it was written in American dollars. If you converted it to then Canadian dollars and we hit the maximum of every single bonus, which would have been like 24 events, all having 3000 or more people, right? Like it was pretty, pretty extreme. Right. But when TMZ called my agent and my agent's like, well, this is a good way to get some headlines. It was possible for me to get it. Did it happen? No. <laughs> Got it. it was a good, uh, good media play. That makes sense. I guess it's kind of smart on their part to incentivize you to, mm-hmm. you know, drive people to come to the events, share it out yeah. on your socials and all of that as well, just to, to help basically help them as essentially as an employee kind of at that point in marketing more or yeah. less. So it was, I was like the brand ambassador for the series. And if my agent was kind of like, we want this for it. And that was a pretty, in my opinion, I was like, man, like I get to fly to these cities and do beer miles and have a yeah. good time. Like I'm okay with that. But that's when your agent kind of says, Hey, yeah. these guys are going to be making money off you. you. You need to at least ask for this amount. So they ended up coming back with this amount and saying, well, if things go really well, we could get this. So, um, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it was a stretch of what was on the piece of paper, but if you maxed out everything on the sheet of paper that I signed or the, the contract, it technically could have ended up in six figures. That makes sense. And, it, it, and yeah. do you still have an active Brooks agreement in place right now or have those expired? Yeah. So I was an ambassador for this year again. Um, obviously with me having not run a ton in the last few years, it's been tough to, toughest thing for me is when I go to share things on social media or they want me posting content, people go like, I have a dozen people reach out being like, man, I'm so happy you're running again. I'm like, actually, I'm not running again. I'm just meeting my commitments. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on the team through the end of 2020. Um, we'll see what happens in 2021. I'm kind of okay if I take a step back because I have a I have a bit of a closet full of stuff right now because um, <laughs> I haven't been able to run so much. Yeah. Um, but if I can get back into significant amounts of running, Brooks and I are on like such a good, we have such a strong relationship. So it'd be four years ago, five years ago now that I joined the team. So um, if I'm not on it for 2021, then hopefully if I get back into running, I'm sure there's a spot that I can squeeze back into. So definitely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that wasn't too spicy then, I guess. Yeah. That was, it wasn't too I, bad. I didn't make it too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. All right, so uh, last, another new segment, but our last segment, uh, we're calling it The Last Gulp. So we're going to have uh, a bunch of uh, short answer questions. Yeah. Uh, feel free to either answer in one word or like as, as long as you want to yeah. draw it out. Yeah. Uh, everyone we ask will... Take a drink. Uh, take a drink before, and then when we feel like we're we're done drinking, then we'll we'll Stop. cut it there. Yeah. Cool. So the questions will end when we run out of uh, drink in our glass, or when we just run out of questions. We we have a few typed up, um, but well, so there will be an end in sight. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll start off uh, with some with some easy ones. So, uh, what's your favorite beer? Favorite beer would be Innocent Gun Amber. I don't know if you get that in America, but it's uh, yeah. Tried that. Up to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna find it. We have a really good uh specialty like booze store in oh, Chicago. True, true. And so we'll see if they import that one and we'll we'll yeah, drink cool. it on a future yeah. show. And then another one, Bose, Bose full time IPA is another one. So you can get Perfect. either of those two. There you go. Awesome. Good. Next one, favorite cocktail. Favorite cocktail. I have been having a few uh old fashions recently. Oh that's a good choice. Yeah. And the taste. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Oh, this one's kind of relevant to our discussion earlier. Uh, so the scenario is you have 10 years left to live. Would you rather 
you, you have to do either one of these. Would you rather take your, all of your money to Vegas or put it all in stocks? Uh, just based off my philosophy and life and what I do, I have to go with the stock route. <laughs> <laughs> ten, 10 years is still a long time to live. So true, you got to, you got to have some money. You can have fun <laughs> yeah. like the last year after. That's true. Yeah. I got like 12 months Vegas all the way. Perfect. All right. How many holes does a straw have? How many holes does a straw have? Two. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. <laughs> I like it. I, like I don't it. know what it is, but it's not a sandwich. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite baby name? Could be baby. for your future baby or just your favorite baby name in general. Favorite baby name. It's a good one. I like the name Lily. Lily, yeah, okay. for a girl. I don't know what I'm boy. But... Uh, what's tell us something that your mom doesn't know. Something that my mom doesn't know. Um, geez, that's a tough one for a quick answer. My mom probably won't watch this podcast, so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> um, not giving you a quick answer here by any means. Um, <laughs> I think I need to take a drink. <laughs> that's fine we can we can pass and uh come back that's definitely oh, a circle point. back circle back okay <laughs> sounds good sounds good um you have one day left to live and money isn't an object yeah. what are you doing for your last day how are you spending it okay i definitely would go skydiving never done that that'd be pretty fun probably just an adrenaline packed day and then maybe a bit of time with the family probably go skydiving and bungee jumping and then yeah yeah. I like it. Yeah, good Definitely some probably chunk off two hours for eight different things. So skydiving, bungee jumping, some time with the family, some beer with the boys. So yeah. deal. Oh, yeah. yeah. All good. Speaking of beers with the boys, uh, think back to the night that you're most inebriated, at least in recent memory. What yeah. were you drinking that night? What was I drinking? Um old English. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred forty hands action. Okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I we swore we we went to bed that night, kind of not really remembering it, and then the next day at like noon when we all stroll out of bed, like we couldn't even remember the last few hours of the night. We think there's some sort of like memory loss stuff in a in a forty of old English. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I yeah my assumption would have been that in general the answer to a question like that would be like something liquor related and not beer related. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I've never, I've never done 40 hands with old English. So I True. guess that's a new one to try on the list. Yeah. Or like eight and a half percent or something. So yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, favorite social media. Favorite social media. I go with Instagram and I've never, never downloaded TikTok. Never really gotten into it much, but yeah, say Instagram's good. Not a huge Twitter guy. I'm on there occasionally, but yeah. Perfect. Well, awesome. Lewis's Instagram link in the description. Make sure to follow him. Yeah. Any other questions you have? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, thanks for playing along on the last gulp. We're going with the last gulp. That's the name? Yeah. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, I think last piece to close. Um, I thought of it earlier, and I wanted to make sure to touch on it. I see yeah. those beautiful shoes behind you there. Yeah. Want to want to bring those up and tell us a little bit about the official Beer Mile shoe? Yeah, for sure. So um, – for the 2016 Olympics, uh, they made a custom Brooks Hyperion, which is kind of their new racing plot for Des Linden. Um, 
Brooks was kind enough that year to have me out at their annual sales meeting where they were demoing the shoe. And I just sat down, I flown in from Canada, sat down in Seattle for the sales meeting. And I just found an open chair. And then I sat down luckily enough to the girl who was the head designer for the shoes. She's like, Oh, you're that beer mall guy. Like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And she's like, they keep hosting those beer miles on like, they can't really get them on track. So they keep going on roads. Right. It's like, yeah, for sure. And she's like, well, why don't we just do something custom for you? So I totally just stumbled into it with like sitting down next to this girl. My whole beer mile journey just seems to be right guy at the right time. <laughs> so over the next few months before the flow track race that fall, where Chris, you and I were duking it out in that race. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of said like, Hey, what colors do you want? What would be cool? The Des Linden shoe was like pretty American with like the kind of red, white, and blue stars. So they were like, well, you're the world champion. And then Canada. So went with like a golden Chevron there for the Brooks and then kind of just like a Canadian design around the shoe says like beer mile on the tongue. That's sweet. Um, and then on the heel, there's like a Canadian flag there. You guys can see that. Yeah. 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 Maple leaf. Nice. And then on the inside, pretty, these are ones I've actually worn. So I don't know if we can get that there. It says beer in there. Okay. The mile and the yeah. down, the, down the tongue. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> then what else is kind of cool about me yeah it was pretty sweet and then it says uh instead of run happy it says let's see if i can get that on there it says like run hoppy oh yep we got that that's sweet uh on the little tongues there and they were like inches away like they never ended up commercializing them i had a lot of friends reach out like i think i could have probably sold a few hundred pairs myself definitely Uh, but so there's only three pairs in existence these ones that are here that i did run a few races in I've got a pair at home that have never been touched. And then at Brooks headquarters in Seattle, they've got a pair sitting there. So That's yeah, awesome. pretty, uh, pretty cool. Little yeah. Those things are sweet. Piece of the story for sure. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can get to wear them again sometime soon. Yeah. Hopefully there's a 2021 edition for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, new uh, technology, new color scheme, all the, all the good stuff. That'd be sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Any, uh, any last things that you want to plug or any questions that you want to ask us? No, I think it's been great. Who's, uh, is there any uh, next guest set up for the show? Can we give the viewers of maybe who, who might be coming up soon? We've we've reached out to quite a few. We do have one confirmed, um, yeah. confirmed last night. Okay, cool. that, but. Uh, so, we, so Stephanie Purple Brown will be coming on in probably a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, Corey Belmore, I'm sure we'll, we'll have on sometime <laughs> yeah. soon. We'll make sure. Um, we, we've, we've talked to a few other pro runners, um, and hopefully they'll make some time and come on. A few of those include, uh, Craig Engels, Chris Schweizer, Eric Jenkins. Uh, we might try to get some of the tin men on, uh, we'll, we'll see who, who wants to join, but, but yeah, we're also sticking, sticking to some beer milers as well. I think ahead of, especially ahead of the world championship next year, it'd yeah. be great to just circle back with like anyone who's like top 10 or 15 in the world and have a bunch of interview segments and, and kind of previews on the race, I think would be a, yeah. a good opportunity as well. Definitely. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I think I need, I want to see some sort of a peak too early slash beer mile podcast challenge. I, I, I agree like with that. that. I like that. I, w- I was saying, you know how they always talk about, they want that Miller Lite sponsorship. I was just yeah. thinking, what if we could pull off a Miller Lite sponsorship with before <laughs> them somehow? Uh, yeah, that would be that would be uh, all time. <laughs> Some sort of running and drinking competition of between you guys stick them. I think that's uh, a request. I like, line, so. I like it. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get something going there. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll be a fun little rivalry with them. Definitely. Yeah, be awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you, Lewis. Thanks for joining. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Good Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's been a blast. Awesome. Cheers.
That wraps up our interview with Lewis Kent. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Right now, before you forget, make sure to enter to win a free copy of Lewis Kent's Beer Mile book. All you have to do is follow him on Instagram at Lewis Kent, subscribe to the Beer Mile Media YouTube page, and comment on this episode of the Beer Mile podcast on YouTube, your favorite beer. Very simple. It'll take you 10 seconds, free to enter, and you will get a signed copy of Lewis Kent's book mailed to you. Run hoppy. Oh shit, is there? Yeah. Oh, there's a screw that's poking through there. Ow. Yikes. <laughs> antiques. <laughs> Alright, anyway. Yeah, antiques. Fans, give us money for new chairs. We're yeah, dying we're, here. Yeah, we've only got one. <laughs> Hello, cute cats and kittens. Oh my god. <laughs>